0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Today we begin an exciting new series called The Triumph of the Lamb. And it'll be a series that actually has four different parts. And we'll begin today with chapter 1 through 5. So join us now with a message entitled The Revelation of Jesus as we turn to Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Corrie Ten Boom was a courageous
1: Dutch Christian who survived the Nazi concentration camp, and she wrote the following lines about worry over the future. She said, When I worry, I go to the mirror and say to myself, This tremendous thing which is worrying you is beyond solution. It's especially too hard for Jesus Christ to handle. After I've said that, I smile, and I'm ashamed. See, I love those lines. Worry, as you know, reflects a lack of confidence in Christ's ability to handle the future. Faith in Christ or trust in Christ really does smash worry. But the reason why we worry so much, well, it's because life is so unpredictable. And the reason that life is so unpredictable, yeah, you guessed it, it's because none of us can predict the future. We live in a society that's obsessed with predicting the future. The popularity of science fiction indicates a particular fascination with the future. We want to know what's going to happen. We start the day with weather predictions, and some of us may pick up the paper and read about the latest predictions of what the stock market is going to do. The fact is that there are people in our society that do nothing but predict the future, and the rest of us listen to them. They predict who's going to win the election. They predict what's going to happen to the economy. They predict what social trends are going to be like in five years from now. They predict how developments in the high-tech industry is going to affect our lives in the next 20 years. What they tell us is that everyone is interested in what's going to happen in the future. And all of us worry that the future might just be negative. So today, I'm beginning an extended study of the book of Revelation, a book that predicts the future. But unlike other predictions about the future, this book comes with an interesting twist. It's not only giving us a glimpse into what must soon take place. It does so by giving us courage and faith to live out our lives in With a sense of confidence today. We need not worry indeed. Faith and courage are the expectations that come from reading this book. Now, the reason I say this is because, as one might imagine, with a book as difficult to understand as Revelation, that there have been a great many theories on how to interpret this book. One view to which I subscribe believes that this book is about the future. That's how I'm going to teach this book, but with a twist. This book was written to churches in the Roman province of Asia, or as we know it today, the nation of Turkey. Christians living there suffered terribly under the Roman emperor Domitian. Domitian proclaimed himself to be a god and demanded worship of himself. His holy temple was in Rome, and there he defiled all pure worship by insisting on death to those who refused to offer sacrifices to him as a god. This, of course, directly affected Christians. In one sense, the terrible images that one finds in Revelation directly correspond to the things that the early church in Asia experienced in around the years 85 to 95. This book, in some very important ways, is their story. You know, and in one sense, this book speaks to things that happened at the end of the first century, even while it speaks of things that are going to come at the end of the world. See, this book is written to seven ancient churches, and the entire book was to be understood by those people who lived in those seven churches and directly applied to them. And so, as you hear me teach this book, you might wonder whether I believe this book is to be understood only by applying its content to the seven churches 1,900 years ago. See, there's a reason for that. Revelation, like all Bible books, must be understood in context. Who was the book written to? is always our first question. The second question is like the first. How did the hearers apply this book to their own lives? But the third question is just as important. It's the question of application. That is, how are we to apply this book to our lives today? And so I will apply this book to both the events of AD 95 and the events to the end of the world. See, Christians in all ages have found the events in this book eerily like their own time period. This book is like a picture of the future, which provides for us a mirror back into our own setting, telling us what's happening today. And that's why so many Christians in the past were convinced that Christ was going to return in their lifetime. They saw their circumstances in light of what they read in this book about the future. And so they came to a natural conclusion that they were going to see the return of Christ. See, this book describes a great spiritual war that's happening in the heavens, and all Christians have found that war is, in fact, being fought today. And so it's natural to assume that since things in this book look like our day, well, we must be the generation that's going to see Christ. Now, eventually, of course, one generation will be that generation. And as Christ returns in glory, they're not going to be surprised. After all, they've read about it in this book. And so before we begin to read, there's one more question I want to answer. What's the book of Revelation all about? You'll notice that I call this series The Triumph of the Lamb. Have you ever been around a lamb? Have you ever had a sneaking suspicion when you're with a lamb, this is a beast that's the ruler of the animal kingdom, that all other beasts will quake in fear at the utter and complete triumph of the lamb? Well, of course not. Lambs don't triumph. They're defeated. They're eaten. And that's what it seemed like in the ancient world and what it still seems like today. The Jesus movement is hardly the thing that conquers the world. Great armies, mighty politicians and generals, weapons of mass destruction, a willingness to brutalize all opposition with unstoppable force, that's what conquers the world. Ancient Rome conquers the world. But this is where we're wrong. Rome does not conquer. The slaughtered lamb, Jesus Christ, will utterly and completely conquer this world, will return in great glory, and rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's why the persecuted churches in the Roman province of Asia didn't have to worry. As unstoppable as the Roman emperor seemed, and as harsh and cruel, and as compassionless as his policies were in regard to the church, this book pronounces the utter and complete and overwhelming victory of the crucified lamb. If you've never read this book before, this result would have seemed overwhelming. And so, like Corey Tenboom, read this book. It's like looking into a mirror and say to yourself, I think I've just lost all my reason for worrying. Now, in order to make this book more digestible for us, I'm going to teach it at four different times, each in a three-week series. Now, this first three-week series will take us from chapters 1 through to chapter 5. This section can rightfully be called, Don't Be Afraid, Jesus is Lord. So with that brief introduction, let's begin to read. I'm reading Revelation 1, verses 1 to 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. You know, the book of Revelation begins by describing itself as the revelation. The Greek word for revelation is the word apocalypse. You know, in contemporary terms, when we think of the word apocalypse, we think about the end of the world and of terrible images of evil that bring the human race to the point of ruin. In fact, the book of Revelation is filled with those terrible images. We may think of the image of the four horsemen of the apocalypse riding through the earth, bringing war and death, famine and hell. We may think of seven angels standing over the earth with seven huge bowls filled with the wrath of God, which they're about to pour on the hapless citizens of the planet. We may imagine the hideous, brazen prostitute sitting on a scarlet beast that's covered with perverse and blasphemous names. As we look closely at this horrid, unashamed, brazen, and hideous prostitute, we find her drunk. She has a golden cup in her hand, and she's been drinking from it, and we find that her cup is filled with that blood of Christian martyrs. You know, as I read that image and think of Christian martyrs, I'm reminded that in our day, every six minutes, another Christian is martyred for his or her faith in Jesus. I mean, surely this horror is drinking our blood today. These are images of ruin or horror or of the end of the earth, but they are images that we also feel this very hour. Now, at the time of the writing of this book, there was, in fact, a very popular genre or a a category of literature that's been called apocalyptic literature. It was pronounced in the Jewish world, and in some ways, that literature reads a lot like the book of Revelation. Jewish apocalyptic literature, however, was anonymous, and this book is not. The author clearly indicates who he is. Jewish apocalyptic literature was overwhelmingly pessimistic, and this book is not. You know, and finally, Jewish apocalyptic literature was deterministic, but this book places all things in God's hands. So let's enjoy not only a book of terrifying images,
0: but a book of great hope. It's happening. After a two-year break, Back to the Bible Canada is inviting you to join us February 2018 for a Celebration Caribbean Cruise. One week of cruising pristine waters, visiting beautiful island vistas, and most importantly joining the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team, including Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Against Phil Calloway, special musical guests, and new friends from coast to coast in a time of reflection, refreshment, worship and fellowship with God's people. These events have been incredibly popular, so don't hesitate to reserve your spot now and sail the Caribbean with Back to the Bible Canada. For cruise and registration information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. And an important reminder to all of our Back to the Bible Canada listeners, no ministry funds are used to facilitate vacation events. The entire cost of the event is met exclusively by those who participate.
1: One of the ways which Revelation is different is that the author gives his name. His name is John. But is this the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the Three Letters of John? Is this John the the youngest of our Lord's disciples? Well, indeed it is. Indeed, from the early church, the testimony that this is the same John is all but universal. Indeed, Irenaeus, in his book called Against Heresies, writes, John beheld the apocalyptic vision toward the end of Domitian's reign. And so we not only identify the author, but also the time period in which the book was written, sometime toward the end of the mid-90s A.D. Christians were then living in a world in which the emperor was a man who left his brother to die, a man who seduced his own niece and killed people for making jokes about him, and also demanded that he be called Lord and God. But not only is Revelation different from Jewish apocalyptic works in that it identifies the author and the time in which he lived, but the book is also different in the sense that it really isn't pessimistic at all. I know the book does paint a most frightening picture, but always in the background is the redemption that's accomplished in Jesus. And finally, the book is not deterministic. Yes, it is determined that Christ will come again. But the book really doesn't present us with a set of markers to show us exactly when the end will come. Indeed, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36, of that day or hour, no one knows. So this book is not going to tell you when Jesus will come back. But let's keep reading. The revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the Greek grammar here doesn't tell us whether this is an objective or a subjective genitive. Now, if you don't know what I've just said, You know, this book might be saying it's the revelation about Jesus, or it might be telling us that this is the revelation that comes from Jesus. And so we're left to wonder what it is. Is this a book that tells us something about the person of Jesus, or is this a book that tells us something that Jesus is telling us? What are we to expect from the title, The Revelation of Jesus Christ? Well, in truth, the book is both. See, I know of no book that will give you a more glorifying portrayal of Jesus than this one, and yet, this book contains what Jesus wants to say to his church. See, these two themes, revealing the true glory of Jesus over against the glory of Caesar and of the powers of this world, is a powerful theme that will grip us as we study this book. But what Jesus tells his church is also life-transforming. And so from our perspective, the book is really both. It is a revelation of the person of Jesus, that is, who he is. This book might well transform your vision of Jesus, but the book is also about what Jesus has to say to the churches, and his message will take us to an analysis of the life and health of any local church, all the way to the soon return of Christ himself. Now, as we begin to read, we notice that John tells us how his book came to us. First, writes John, the message of the book starts with God the Father, who then revealed it to the Son, that is, to Jesus. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, that kind of language really isn't surprising at all. For instance, Jesus says in John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Or John 5.20, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Or again, John 7, verse 16, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And again, John eight twenty eight, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And so as we begin to read Revelation, we're immediately shown that the Jesus we encounter in this book is none other than the very same Jesus that we've already encountered in the Gospels, and especially in the Gospel of John. Jesus, although he is fully equal with the Father, which both the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation tells us nonetheless, has submitted himself to his Father. And the Father, in turn, honors the Son as his equal. What we will find, as we do in the rest of our Bible, is that the Father has planned our salvation from before time began. Indeed, the Father has also planned the fulfillment of all things, the end of this world of evil, and and the beginning of the perfect world in which righteousness will reign forever. But all of this is accomplished through the Son. And so the Father takes the lead, and the Son accomplishes what the Father plans. So let's continue to read again verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And so we can see that this book is about the things that must soon take place. Now, that theme is repeated in the end of verse 3, which says, "...for the time is near." And that leads to some difficulty. You know, it's easy to read that line in the 21st century and think, wait, this was originally written around the year A.D. 95. It's now been over 1,900 years since this book was written. I mean, I don't know how you understand soon, but that seems long. Jesus has not returned. It has not been soon at all. So is the prophecy wrong after all? See, there are several ways of answering that. First of all, will you notice that some of the things in this book indeed did happen soon? For instance, in chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus tells the church in Smyrna, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Indeed, their suffering was just around the corner. It did happen soon. And so some of what we read does indeed happen soon. Indeed, some of the visions of Revelation make sense in the light of the suffering of Christians in the first century. But secondly... You will notice that some of the things in this book have happened repeatedly, such as the the prostitute we spoke of being drunk with the blood of, of Christian martyrs. I mean, how often have savage people gorged themselves on the blood of Christians? See, Jesus also predicted that that would happen, and so it does. But Revelation 22, verse 7 has in no way happened. In it, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. So what do we make of that? Well, the answer to that question is best given by Dr. George Eldon Ladd in his commentary on the book of Revelation. See, Dr. Ladd says biblical prophecy is not primarily three-dimensional, but two. It is height and breadth, but is little concerned about depth, that is, the chronology of future events. See, what Dr. Ladd is saying is that this book is less concerned with the time period in which this will occur than with the certainty of the event you were called upon not to guess when these things will happen, but rather to feel the urgency of the event. It must come. God will not delay it one moment longer than he has determined. In his timing, since he's Lord of time, it is soon. But someone might still say, well, wait a minute. Are you saying that Jesus said that he was coming soon to get us to feel that it was urgent, even though he knew that he wouldn't show up for 2,000 years? I mean, that sounds deceptive. So let me give you an illustration. Years ago, when our children were young, we took a trip across Canada as a family. We'd hardly pulled out of our home in White Rock, BC. I mean, White Rock is right on the Pacific Ocean. When one of the kids asked, How long is it going to be until we arrive in Prince Edward Island and visit Green Gables? I said, We're going to be there soon. I knew it wouldn't be four weeks. But what I hadn't anticipated was that five minutes later, one of the kids would ask, have we gotten there yet? Now, clearly, their definition of soon and mine were very different. Now, why did I say soon? Well, one reason is that it was soon. See, we'd been planning this trip for so long, and soon we would now be there. So from my perspective, it was soon. But I also said it because I wanted my kids to anticipate the event. I wanted them to know we we weren't just driving around. Something wonderful was going to happen. So listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Aren't you glad it's been this long? It's allowed you to be one of God's people, and if you're not, it allows you to give your life to Christ today. See, what's important to the Lord is that you begin to anticipate the day of Christ's coming. You should live with a sense of expectancy. You just never know when the day will come. It might be that you're not going to die, but that you are the generation that will witness the return of Christ. You know, perhaps you've read through this book a number of times, and it's built within you this eerie sense that you're experiencing some of the very same things that it's teaching you. You should begin to imagine its outcome. You should begin to wonder whether the glimpse you got on God's mountain now looks like the terrain we're living in. So you see, this book is an unveiling of the plan of God given by Jesus and declares what must soon take place. And what will soon take place is a worldwide revelation of Jesus Christ, that he is both King of kings and Lord of lords, and that before him every knee must bow, and that his triumph over all of the powers of this earth is utter and it's complete. Always be prepared. He is coming soon.
0: John, this is an exciting series that you're sort of launching, and it's going to be taken over a number of different weeks over the year, uh, interspersed with other messages from yourself. I'm thinking about this one in the book of Revelation and and how much it impacts so many people and so many people have their perspective on the book of Revelation. What would you like to say to people listening as we begin this journey together?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking that question, Ben. I, I think more than anything else, could we agree on this? That the book of Revelation, maybe more so than any other book in the Bible, glorifies Jesus and gives us a grander vision of Christ and his sweeping control of history than anything else that we have. Now, it's going to be, of course, that as we look at some of them, you know, you might disagree with how I treat some of the symbols in Revelation or how I see its exact, you know, the, the discourse and its time frame being uh, worked out. But, you know, all of those things, let's not lose sight of the principal issue. This is a book that celebrates the triumph of the Lamb, the utter victory of Jesus Christ over all things. Let's get unified on that.
0: I think we're going to begin a great journey. Thanks so much, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Coming this February and March, Dr. John Neufeld will begin a much-anticipated Bible teaching series entitled, Revelation, the Triumph of the Lamb. For three weeks, Dr. Neufeld will present volume one of an entire study of the book of Revelation beginning with chapters one to five. Join Back to the Bible Canada as we dig deeply into the book of Revelation, discovering its relevance for today and the incredible hope for tomorrow for all those that follow Christ. And remember, this series, along with being heard on this station, can be listened to online, audio mail, podcast, mobile app, and will be available upon its completion on CD. So make sure to join us for the entire Revelation, the Triumph of the Lamb series. For more information on this series or any ministry resources or events, or to send a gift to support this ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.